If you don't address your lack of self-love, your boundaries will. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear shit shows. Shit show nation, what up? For any new listeners, I'm Andrea. I'm a shit show. I am an acquired taste. So uh, you might you might be really into this shit or you might really not be into this <laughs> And this podcast is where we talk about what to do when your childhood is fucking up your life as an adult. And on that note, we curse here, okay? You've been warned. And we talk about some pretty heavy shit. Uh, I would just assume a trigger warning on on every episode. But we also do bring in a lot. We, I was talking about we as me, we, <laughs> we mean me. Oh, God. Uh, the humor comes in. We bring in humor because that's the only way that we're going to make it out alive from this shit. Healing from our childhood is if we can find some humor and the ability to, you know, to laugh at ourselves. So today we are joined by an adult child guru, uh, Mr. Jerry Weiss. So some of y'all are probably familiar with his YouTube channel where all of his videos are about all the shit that we talk about on this podcast. And this is just a really excellent interview. This really fed my soul. This dude is is a total shit show. Jerry would fit in perfectly in, in the shit show community. So let's get the damn show on the road. But first, let's talk about why you, yes, you need to damn the join shit show. So this is my online community where I host multiple weekly Zoom support groups, this is a place for you to connect with other shit shows who know exactly how you feel. There's actually been several people that have joined lately who have all said that prior to joining this, there was no one in their life that they could talk to who understood it and just how relieving it is for them to now, you know, have a group of people who who get it. And it's not just like a group of people who aren't judging you or, you know, they're, they're still accepting you. It's it's people who are you, right? Like, we're you and you're me. <laughs> um, so if you're one of those people and you feel like you don't have anyone in your life that gets what the hell you're going through, how about you damn the joint shit show, okay? We can't heal in isolation. You can try. I don't think you're going to make it very far. So how about you damn the joint shit show? Check out the link in the bio. Um, next give me a follow on the insta on the tiktok at adult child pod and last but not least give me a damn five star rating on apple on spotify thank you so much all right everybody let's introduce the man the myth the legend i'm gonna call you an adult child guru youtube celeb jerry weiss welcome you're so nice now my adult child shame kicks in because you've given me a compliment yeah exactly um no, it's very kind of you. Uh, but I would say that's kind of adult child has been my thing. It sure has. For, for decades. You remember the first time you heard the term? Yeah. And I did not hear it in training, in schooling, when I went uh, for my training and such. 
Um, and that's why I so appreciate it. Are you going to tell me when it was? You just said, yeah, but then you oh, left oh, me hanging, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. What the hell? No, I would say <laughs> the, first time, the first time I had heard that was uh, work probably working with a supervisor in AAMFT, American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists supervisor, who said, and she was aware of adult child issues. And she said, are you familiar with adult child? That's a funny term. What do you mean, adult child? <laughs> she said, yeah, let's let's talk about that. <laughs> and she was one of my best super, she was phenomenal. Everybody was impressed with her. We go around the room with all these people with every degree in the world, trying to sort out this case. We get to her, she'd have it all. She'd just have it all sorted out. And we just go, why can't we be wise like that? But I did pick up where some of her wisdom came from. And that's what I've always been interested. How do you know what you know? That's always been a fascination of mine. What year was that? Let's see. Okay. You know, I'm old. Now you're talking about. Let's say it's in the 80s. Okay, so it was like a, you know, because the term came about like late 70s, early 80s. So it was probably it, pretty early on. It, it was. It was. And and I'm so glad she was open to it. And, and actually, she was superb marriage and family therapy supervisor. And that's a special term in AMFT. You can't just not everybody be one. You have to train and train and train to be a supervisor. The... Um, but she knew her parents were alcoholic and that's where she uh, brought that together for herself and, uh, and learned that. And, and we'd talk about, and she would ask about alcohol and drug abuse issues when other sis, other supervisors might not, mm. you know, and that does happen where, you know, what don't, do either of your clients drink, you know, when I would do training for therapists, you know, or have any alcohol or drug issues, you know, well, yeah, they drink every day and he's had a DUI, but I don't think he has a, an alcohol problem. <laughs> oh, really? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, <laughs> and where did you learn that paradigm? <laughs> That's what I want to know. <laughs> so how do you describe your breed of dysfunctional family that you were raised in? I would say um, codependent, workaholic, sex addicted, um, food addicted, and then eventually religious addiction. Mm. And what would you say that you endured as far as oh, and some abuse and neglect? Physical, physical abuse, um, the belt, those kind of things, which are terrible. No child should have to be subjected to that. And, um, and that was very frightening, scary, and traumatizing. The um, and then I would say also the uh, probably neglect, very distant, kind of distant father, 
um, and and a an angry brother who could be physical, um, and so those kind of struggles. I also endured sexual abuse growing up, though not from my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was from a um, uh, paper route supervisor. Wow. How old were you? Sixth grade. When did you tell someone? Oh, I didn't. When was the first time you told anyone? The first time I told someone, I was probably in the church. I'd already joined the church after the 88. And that probably took place in about 66 or 67, some, uh, probably 66. And, oh, because I knew... I had already toyed with, do I tell mom and dad? And I already knew from other experiences I had heard was then just stay away from that person. Mm. You know, that was the, and that was the solution at that point. And in those days Mm -hmm. that was often, well, then just stay away from them. You know, and if, if a girl got molested by somebody, well, you just need to stay away from them. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And, and this was, you know, it did create a lot of difficulties for me psychologically. Um, and because it was forcible and pleasurable. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good combo. Yeah. It, I found that to be really traumatic or really messing up. Were you aware as a kid that things weren't normal in your family? I, I would say things could be uncomfortable, but I would not paint them as abnormal. And I think that's what a lot of adult children experience. It's, it hurts or it feels funny. But it's still normal. You know, this is this is the family I have. Uh, and, and what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. You know, what, how many families do you have that you can contrast it to? Yeah. <laughs> so you can't, you know, you, now later I do remember thinking, I wish I had Chris's, my best friend, Chris, I wish I had his parents. Mm-hmm. And I do remember feeling that way and even saying that. Um and, but again, it was kind of like, well, they were nice, seemed kind of engaging, warm. You know, it did, there wasn't a lot of fear necessarily going on. So my dad was pretty, he was a big guy and he was, he was the principal of the school. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a trauma in and of itself. And, um, and that was, and we moved right after the sexual abuse it wasn't too long we moved to another school where he became the head principal of that school and now i've lost all my friends and now i'm in this new rival school and dad's the principal and i'm trying to lie that i don't know who that guy is we're not related did people what like what was his reputation like was he he liked generally or he was yes he okay. could be charming and and he was fair and he was but that was back in the day of physical pu- corporal punishment mm. 
Um, I mean, as it was ending mm-hmm. and he did end it. He mm-hmm. did. He did stop that and said, we're no longer going to have that as a part of our process. There were some good things that he did. And he stood up for, a, a, we were in a very white rural community. We had a black family moved in. Everybody wanted to move out mm. and dad stood up for them. So he did some good things, mm. but it was, and, and two of the daughters were cheerleaders at our white school and the son was the president of the band. So, That's I mean, awesome. uh, you know, we, but it was a pretty white experience. For me, yeah, I would imagine. Up. Wait, where is it? This is in you. You've never. Have you always lived in Indiana? Have you ever lived anywhere else? Pretty much. Pretty mm-hmm. much been in Indiana. I've been to schools around different places, but Indiana's been my home. Um. Yeah. So, so when you mentioned the like sexual addiction, food stuff, when did you have that aha? That these are problems. Yeah, like when did you have the awareness that there, like the addiction issues, were going on in your home? I'm assuming not till later on, or or did you yeah, have some probably, sort of an awareness of that? Till, yeah, not till later on. Mm-hmm. I think in college I began to realize that that well, because I had such shame over sexual addiction and food addiction that's when I became and became involved in hyper religiosity mm-hmm. then I moved to there mm-hmm. to be absolved and to feel better and to and to heal me from all this crap and da 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 and by the way I did everything you could possibly do to be healed uh, from exorcism to who knows what and I used to be an exorcist in the church when I was a priest in the church really yeah looking back on those like do you feel like you like had some success there like do you really feel like you you oh i certainly do do you have a memory of like a really extreme example or is there a a particular time you remember oh yeah we had some pretty wild uh exorcisms and, what and would I, you do like walk me through this well it was basically it was basically prayer holy oil um were you and, speaking in tongues and what and you i did speak in tongues i grew up kind of in the charismatic movement that's kind of where i got saved and the charismatic movement was kind of a new pentecostal movement a cool, it's the cool Pentecostal movement. I don't know what. Of course. But it's. So cool. And it's uh, charismatic. And so I kind of grew up in that or started in that after my conversion. And so we would pray, speak in tongues, da, 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 and do all those things. And, uh, and yeah, we, I mean, I saw some, I know this one woman, I mean, she had, you know, probably three or four men holding her down. And she could just flip them all off. Wow. Pretty. Now, again, knowing the difference between demonic, spiritual, psychological, it's a tough, it's a tough uh, sort of yeah, stored, stored trauma. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess it could be kind of similar to like, I mean, you see when people are doing like, you know, breath work stuff. 
I guess it could be kind of similar to that. Okay, but when you're speaking in tongues, like, what are you, are you really like, do you really feel like you were chanting or were you just like, just talking gibberish? Like, do you really feel like you had the words coming to you? At the time I did. I think it was more a sense of freedom mm. to just express yourself in this kind of verbal way. And not everybody can do that. Not Some people can, some people can't. Whether it is a spiritual gift or not, that's a whole question, you know, uh, for me, it's, there's just so many layers to it. And so I just kind of accept whatever people's experience is, is what it is. And how can I be of help to them, given whatever experience they're having? And I understand about speaking in tongues. I understand about not speaking in tongues. I, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's just a, uh, you know, some people have blonde hair, some people have brown hair, some people yeah. have black hair. Some people speak in tongues, some people don't have a tongue, you know? Don't have a tongue. <laughs> and so I figure my pay grade is to not to sort out all that out. I agree. So can you think of a very pivotal moment where you were like, holy shit, my childhood really fucked me up? I would say in the 80s, because I really kind of started... A my recovery route like in 79 I even joined the church as a part of that recovery now it didn't have a lot of the pieces in it but it was still moving that direction and then in the 80s uh, I really realized wait a minute I am much more affected by my childhood than I have given credit to and, and I also at the time was learning more about a family systems dynamic and how much our family of origin gets imprinted inside us. Mm -hmm. And I was learning more about that. And I was going, oh, my gosh, here I thought I was being me all this time. No, I'm just being the wise Wardwell super self. Not Jerry. I'm, I'm being this generational wise is my last and wardwell is my mother's maiden name the wise wardwell imprinting and wise wardwell stuff that's gone on through the generations uh oh i'm sure my dad was probably spanked heavily when he was growing up and probably abused if he didn't do what he was supposed to do back in that day that was much more common and um so to him that was that's All how you know. control children, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. what else do you do? And it works. So, but it also breaks, it works and it breaks. And we don't want to break uh, when we're trying to make it work. We don't mm -hmm. usually take that as a solution if it breaks something. And I'm glad that I didn't choose that for my son. Mm -hmm. So probably in the eighties. And then, then I began to realize, Oh, then I think I've done all this religious stuff and done all these things to avoid looking at me. Mm -hmm. I've done all that so I don't have to look at Jerry. Mm -hmm. Yike. Yike, yike, yike. Ugh, that's not a fun moment. <laughs> that is not a fun time. 
to realize that I've been avoiding all this stuff, whether it be sexual addiction, eating, um, religiosity, hyper-religiosity, religious addiction, uh, to avoid. If you do all that, then you it don't was. have to look. Yeah. It's no different than alcohol or drugs. You do all that, and then you don't have to deal with stuff. You've really, I mean, it, it's interesting to see your personal recovery journey as well as your professional journey has really been in line with like, as we're really starting to understand this more, like, you know, like the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family and like complex trauma. Like, do you remember the first time you heard the term complex trauma? Oh, that would be a long, that'd be a long time ago. I don't, not sure I can remember the first time uh -huh. I heard that, but, but certainly I, we knew about PTSD. Then it began to morph into understanding the CPTSD. Uh -huh. um, and, and coming to see, ah, yeah, uh, a continuous trauma you know, if it's even smaller than a full-blown PTSD event, still has significant effects on people. And that was a new thought, mm -hmm. you know. And I, and I think probably when I was working in treatment with families, I was probably dabbling in thinking about, you know, complex PTSD and how these families are traumatized and the um, the addicted addict or alcoholic is traumatized and was traumatized as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that and that all of this didn't occur in this generation. It, it goes back, you know, and and I think it's fair to say, you know, we're probably as we live and express ourselves, we're probably talking about five generations mm -hmm. as to who we are. Um, and you know, that, and, and that doesn't mean, um, you know, my great, great, great grandfather committed suicide. So I'm going to, but that is a part of the mix, mm -hmm. you know, it is a part of the mix that comes down to us and comes down to me. Mm -hmm. And, and I had a gambling addict uncle, and his wife was addicted to pills. Um, and and that, was all, that was another thing that was very strange to me. He lost everything. And I have three, four cousins from that couple. And we would have them over for Christmas and we'd get them all gifts. They didn't give you and shit? I, <laughs> and no. And I, and I never understood that. I wasn't mad at them. I just, I didn't understand why are they so poor and he has a good job blah 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 blah, blah. you know i just couldn't it, it didn't make sense why are we doing this I, i'm glad we're doing it but uh, what what's happening <laughs> and and you don't and in my family you just don't talk don't talk about it you don't talk yeah. don't talk no 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 um do you have an opinion as far as like addiction being trauma based do you feel like it is? Oh, gosh. I, well, my I would say whenever somebody asks me a question like that, 
especially people ask me a lot about narcissism, you know, and that, uh, you know, is, is narcissist, narcissism only trauma-based? In other words, you can't be a narcissist unless your parents made you one. And my experience is it's usually a combination, my understanding, of genetics and trauma, mm-hmm. environment and Mm-hmm. you know, um, nature, nature and nurture. Mm-hmm. And is it possible to have a narcissist without narcissistic parents? And I just had somebody criticize me because I said, yes, I believe it's possible. I think anything's possible. So wait a minute. You know, it's not say- I'm not saying narcissists don't produce narcissists. Of course they do. But if you're saying only, well, then you haven't met the people I've met. You know, I'm sorry. You just haven't met those people. And and alcohol, yes, is it trauma-based? Absolutely. But then what do we do with the genetics? No, I you think know, that's... Yeah, that a, yeah. Isn't that a part two? Yeah, I, well, and I guess... But I guess the genet. I mean, it's kind of... The trauma is playing in the genetics as well, right? I, I guess, Absolutely. Right? It's, yeah. We are a very complicated organism as Mm -hmm. human beings and it absolutely is so is trauma a big i believe it is now i'm trying to think of you know do i know of alcoholics and addicts who didn't experience trauma well i think you could think about like the one time the one thing i could think of is like people who never had um alcoholism or addiction issues and they get hooked on opiates that what do we do with that you know and and the, you know, it's right. And, and that, and so I try not to think about so many, I try to be open about the exceptions, mm-hmm. but also hold about the majority of how people tend to have alcohol and drug problems. But I always believe there's always exceptions. I've worked too long in this business and I work in a psychiatric practice for a number of years. I know the people I've met with and I know what their symptoms and dynamics were. You know, there were exceptions in there. Hmm. Um, You know, is it possible for someone to get over alcoholism without AA? I think so, yeah. Of course. Now, Mm -hmm. is AA a bad thing? Absolutely not. And I would recommend people go to 12 step, you know, but if, if you would say that in some quarters, their orthodoxy would be offended. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, you don't have to worry about defending your program. Your program is needed and necessary. I have used 12 step recover, recovery and still do. So you don't have to defend it by, are there people who got well without it? Mm-hmm. We'll go, sure. Okay. Bless them. That's that's wonderful. But that doesn't mean everybody can do that. And the program is so very, very important. Yeah. But that's, I I come up against that sometimes. That if you don't go along with the orthodoxy, then you're somehow minimizing or limiting the power of the program. And it's like, no, I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like when it's appropriate, I mean, a large reason I wanted to start this podcast is be- is to reach the people who are in the same shoes as me that are sitting in 12-step programs right now who don't understand like why they're so fucking miserable still. Like there's thousands of people who don't realize that it's because they haven't addressed their trauma. And so when appropriate, I just think it's like, I really, and especially being here in the South now and, you know, back in Jacksonville where it's a little bit more traditional in in the 12 step rooms, like when it's appropriate, I think that it's, I, I really try to share that because God, I would have, I w- it would have been nice to hear somebody share that. So I could have heard that, you know? And I think similarly about what if somebody has been working an ACOA program for 10, 15 years and they don't know where to go, Mm. then that's where I feel I have a message for them. Yeah. And so you have those who have not, not dealt with their trauma, not dealt with their adult child issues then I think there's even more that we can go even beyond that. And, but I've certainly been one for, Hey, it's not just the alcohol and drugs. It's it, it just isn't now you need to deal with that or you're, (laughs) you're not going to get to the other parts. (laughs) Well, exactly. I think generally speaking that that's my experience. I think that there's certain people where, for me, it's like I had to deal with that first, right? And I think a lot of the times it comes up between five to 10 years. But then I think you have the people who cannot fucking get sober, put any time together. And I think they probably do have to address that like right up in front. Well, and that and that's an interesting notion because, well, when I worked as an addiction therapist, because I was, I was a certified Mm-hmm. alcohol and drug abuse counselor and worked in a psychiatric practice worked in a treatment center okay now and was a marriage and family therapist now how do i put all that together mm-hmm. in a way that makes some sense and and i think for me it was like yes there are if if you have multiple issues that are that you're dealing with the drugs the alcohol the trauma, the family systems dynamics that can be very um, uh, glueish, that can keep you glued to the problems. Mm. How do we deal with all of those? Because we have to get the family out of us too. We have to deal with the trauma that's in us and we have to deal with the drugs or alcohol. That's a pattern. Then we might have to deal with the major depression, which is a diagnosis that maybe the family's had for five generations. Now, how do we deal with that? So we've got, we may have all those and the, and the courts would send us the hardest problems. And I loved it because they would send it and they'd say, Hey, you guys come up with a plan for this person because they've got multiple layers of, of difficulties mm. and and you're exactly right how, how and when do we deal with those and sometimes you need to deal with all of them <laughs> you know you and if you don't you're right 
you can just be still so miserable while you're, you know, um, taking it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I like looking at all, I, I would always evaluate someone with about five or six layers of understanding okay. and try, try to explain that to them. That, hey, wait a minute. You don't just have an alcohol problem. That's not all you have. Now, I'm not trying to pile on. I'm trying to you help got, you. You got chill. You think that's your own right. problem? No, dude, really, you think not. alcohol is a problem? Let me tell oh, you how terrible. But what I would say is, look at what's going on. Can you give yourself a break? Mm, mm-hmm. That's the look at what you're trying to dig out of. Can you care about yourself? And love yourself and realize you're not just this failure and you're not just this weak person who just can't get over this. That's not fair. That is not fair to you. So let me, that's why I wanted to tell them to encourage them that, wait a minute, you, you, you're not just dealing with Joe Blow down the street here who, you know, had a rather boring family and a, you know, went to church every day and da, 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 da. you know, that's not why you dealt with. And so now is there hope for dealing with these layers? Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Now that's the good news. There's hope. The bad news. Are you willing to work your butt off? Yeah. The bad news is fucking never ends. <laughs> the bad news is you'll be doing this for the rest of your life, but isn't that better? than being stuck and no hope i think it is i agree the truth of the matter my dear shit shows is that there is a huge overlap in those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family and those of us who are suffering from adhd i myself got diagnosed with adhd about a year ago and getting this diagnosis and treating this diagnosis has made such a difference in my productivity and getting shit done Now, let me tell you about Done. Done is an online ADHD care platform where you can get all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy copays as low as $0. Visit get.donefirst.com slash podcast to learn more. Again, that is get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn ADHD into your strength. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. I want to talk, discuss, um, those layers and just kind of different things that we're dealing with, what we're healing with. But before I forget, I just thought about this. So this person in my community, um, they, they put this message and I thought that actually that you would be perfect person to, um, 
to respond to this. I just thought about this. Mm -hmm. So he said, um, okay, he said, so I'm looking for some insight or support around my therapist, neuropathic holistic, who says that she may need to refer me to a trauma specialist. She said that she can work with the depression, the anxiety, ADHD, but thinks the complex trauma, as she called it, needs support from a trauma therapist. She did say that we could continue to work together. That said, hearing that made me feel I'm too damaged to improve, like she was giving up. It's difficult for me to comprehend seeing a trauma therapist because I don't have big T trauma. Excellent question. Give Mike some hope. Excellent question. Mike. Well, I mean, I always respect a therapist when they can share influence. Well, what that, what that now, I mean, that's huge that they're even willing to admit that. Like, yay for this but, therapist, first no, of no. all. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm always, if you, if you feel that that's over your head, you're doing the patient and client right by going, hey, let's, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Now, I, now I probably, I would have maybe set that up differently with the client. Mm. You know, and um, and the other thing I might have considered was, you know, you may have this trauma uh, that I've that I've come to realize has really been traumatic for you and you have this trauma you're dealing with. And, you know, that's not a specialty that I work in Mm -hmm. for me, how I work with a mic like that is okay, you have this trauma. Certainly, if you would like to see a trauma specialist, I would be absolutely fine with that. Though I have some experience with trauma, you know, I, I, with, here's the difficulty when you start specializing. When you start specializing and you go see a trauma specialist, then what is the trauma specialist missing? For example, and I'll tell you something they might miss, and I'm not against trauma specialists, so please don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just saying we are holistic as people. How does my family of origin in me play out to reinforce this trauma? The trauma specialist may not deal with that or address that. And that's where I feel that's an important aspect. Second of all, how does your trauma play into your family of origin within you Mm -hmm. and your real family? Mm -hmm. What does that play in this system? How does your trauma play in your relationship? What is, how do I want to say, what role does it play? Because trauma is something that we experience. It's then something we may take on as a role. And so keeping those carefully observed, I think, is important. Well, I think the message, too, is like when he when Mike, when you're talking about like, I feel too broken. I mean, I think the, the reality of the situation is this is that and you can speak to this. This is not being taught enough. You know what I mean? It's like. Complex trauma. This is such a huge issue. Like this isn't something that's just like 
so rare and nobody oh. knows about it. It's so common and it's not being taught in right. schools. And so therapists don't have the experience in it that, and it is complex, you know, to an extent. And so I think it's wonderful for a therapist to be able to recognize that, that, that they don't have that, but it's by no mean you're not broken. It's, there's like such a, it's so hard to find somebody who really understands this stuff. And it has no. absolutely, and, and thank God, because you could just be wasting your time with somebody. Think about it. You go for a year, you're not getting any better. And it has absolutely nothing to do with being too broken. It's you're working with somebody who doesn't have the information to help you get better. The information, exactly. Or the awareness of that. And it's not because they're mean or bad or want you not to get better or any of those mm-hmm. things. But if they're not aware of that, then, and I think in a family systems understanding, what you see is what you have to offer. And if you don't see something, you can't offer that. And that, and I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying what you see is what you have to offer. And who you are is what you have to offer. I can't make somebody grow past me. I only have me to offer now. So that's why it's been so important for me to work on growing mm-hmm. more, becoming more mature, becoming more self-differentiated, becoming more uh, open, vulnerable, dealing with trauma so that it would affect my children and grandchildren and it would affect other people as well. And also my clients and people I work with. No, Mike is not so broken. Mike, you've only found yourself in the crosshairs of mental health professionals understanding CPTSD and trauma more. It's mm-hmm. only you found yourself in that cross of the learning and growth in the mental health area. Mm-hmm. It's not because you're so broken. And I think you are implying that. That's it's he just is getting caught up in that. The other thing is, which I might use in my own way, the paradoxes of okay, Mike, let's assume you are too broken. Now what are you gonna do? I don't think he wants to hear that. <laughs> well, I mean. But isn't it, even if you're too broken, what are you going to do? You're going to do whatever you can do. And that, you know, I mean, there are some things that will never change within me. I mean, my problems are bigger than can be solved in one lifetime. And that's okay. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep working to love me, care about me, and to grow. Everybody's got problems that go beyond one lifetime. I'm sorry. I just, that's this human condition. And it's not that I'm wanting Mike to feel defeated or to, but it's like the situation is hopeless, but it's not serious. And I think that helps with adult children. When we become over serious, we make the problem even worse when really the problem wasn't any worse the day before that therapist told him that. Mm. It just became worse after she mentioned that. Mm. So, so the, problem, the problem's hopeless, but it's not serious. Let's not take it too seriously. Yes, you're wounded. Ta-da! Well, hopeless? It's not hopeless. What do you mean by no, hopeless? No, no, hold on. And I know what you're saying, that it's not hopeless. But in some ways it is. You are always going to have some brokenness. Mm. So what? Now, what are we going to do? Now, what are you going to do with that? And no different than, okay, my parents. Why did my parents do this? Why didn't they do that? Why were they broken? Why did I have this 
you're asking the why question. The situation is hopeless, but not serious. They did what they did. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. And so you're not going to change them. You're not going to change the past. You're not going to change that you were traumatized. You can't change that. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're not so serious about it, and so, oh, it's so over, and so so can't be changed, then we might be able to begin to change. So Mike isn't saying, Mike, I'm not implying this at all, because clearly he's taking action and he posted that and that's huge. Yes. But like, I'm sure you see this a lot. I think about, you know, with one of the characteristics of an adult child being like this victimhood. And it's like, how many people are not able to recover because they cannot pull themselves out of it and it's so if you are so ingrained in just this perceived victimhood that there's i cannot change the problem is too big like how the hell do you pull somebody out of that you know i tell them all that is true now what are you going to do because all that being true and being over serious and jumping into victimhood is a neurotic bind. It's a bind that needs to be, you need to use a paradox to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. Please. I was traumatized as a child with sexual addiction or uh, sexual yes. abuse. Right. Okay. Now, if I embrace victimhood because of that, now I was a victim of sexual abuse. I, I understand that. It it really did happen, and I was a victim. I didn't choose it. But being a victim and choosing victimhood are two different things. Mm. If you're choosing victimhood, then you're choosing stuckness. Were you a victim? Yes, absolutely. And everything that comes with that. Choosing victimhood has a whole other dynamic to it. And I want to help adult children to not choose victimhood. Mm -hmm. They have been victimized. Absolutely. I wouldn't argue that one bit. But I don't want you choosing victimhood because then you're choosing a role, an emotional state, a mental state that is going to F you up and keep you effed up. Now, that doesn't mean I shame them. I'm not into the shaming part. What I do is, and again, when somebody says, you know, but Jerry, this happened, but Jerry, that happened, but Jerry, that happened. And what about this? And Jerry, this happened to me. And now this is after we've already got a rapport and, you know, I'm not cruel to people. I'm not (laughs) understanding. Believe me, I'm a nice teddy. You know what I call myself? I call myself the motivational roaster. That's a good, that's a a motivational roaster. (laughs) And, and they're telling me this happened to that happened. And I said, Okay, now what? That's you're right. Now, is that going to define you? Is that going to propel you in everything you do? Do you need healing? A- absolutely. Absolutely. And you have a right to that and you have a right to do that. But my concern is if you choose victimhood, you are now punishing yourself mm-hmm. for the trauma. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. You're already traumatized. Let's not make you the perpetrator. That's one of the difficulties with adult child is we become the perpetrator. 
And I try to help people through systems thinking and system approach to not be their own persecutor. Okay, let's dive into that. Because like people know internal family systems, but we haven't really dove into family systems on the pod. So take it away. Yeah. And well, I think family systems is simply, here's the, okay, this is a crazy way of thinking about it, but let's be crazy. And they're all going to go, Jerry, you're nuts. What are you talking about? Oh, they already thought that. Don't worry. Uh, We've already, we're already there. So let it go. All right. In a family systems way of thinking, we don't look at the individual. The patient or the client is the family. Mm -hmm. It's not the patient. Now, what do I mean? Now, is this the only approach I ever use? No, I've got lots of tools in my toolbox, but this is an important, this one in particular that I found because it helped me more to change and become my real self Mm -hmm. more than any other thing. I've the thousands of self-help books I read. Why do you think I went to graduate school twice? So that to fix me, you know, I had to fix my family. I mean, I had to fix them. I had to do that. And then come to find out that's not why you go to graduate school. (laughs) And I thought, well, somebody just cheated me out of what I was planning on doing here. I thought I I could save my family if I could just learn all this stuff. And really, it was about, (laughs) no, save yourself, Jerry. Save yourself. The world will change if you'll save you. And if they don't change, then you couldn't have changed them by trying to change them anyway. So change you and focus on you. And family systems, which is really weird, has a view that takes in the whole family and how you function in the family then and now. And what's so interesting is it's paradoxical. While it looks at the whole family, the focus is on you. An individual approach the focus on you while missing the rest of the dynamics. And so I think it's really interesting that you have this systems view, but the focus is really on you and how you function in this system. Mm -hmm. And even my trauma, even my adult child issues, even my codependency, even my sexual addiction, even my, all those things, food are found. Within the system. Exactly. And that, first of all, it has an effect on me. Well, of course it does. But second of all, it plays a role in the bigger play. And that's what I found a lot of adult children are not as familiar with. How that, for example, okay, you've got, let's say trauma. And we, you know, trauma is, we definitely have trauma for what we've experienced. And that's certainly something that impacted me, Jerry individualistic it did affect me there was no doubt now there's also other dynamics at work and that have been for a long time such as systems anxiety a lot of things we do occur because of anxiety often anxiety we're not even aware of you know when mom gave you that look anxiety came up as a result of that that's systems anxiety, family anxiety. Now we already have that dysfunctional anxiety going on within us and continues on. Now we're traumatized. So now we have anxiety from the trauma. So I like to work on the trauma anxiety and the systems anxiety. 
If the trauma anxiety is stubborn, which it can be, then I try to work on the family systems anxiety. What the hell does that mean? What does that look like? What does which look like? What does working on the family system anxiety? Ah, good question. What that means is, where are you reactive? How are you reactive? Where are you not able to stay calm? And I have that video, calmness is everything. Because that's probably going to tell you where your family system anxiety is at work. For example, if my boss says, Jerry, I just, you know, I just don't know why you can't get this done. And then I have some anxiety. I start to feel reactive towards the boss. Generally, that's family systems. That's family anxiety at work at my workplace. And that because I have an adult figure or an authority figure criticizing me And now I feel this anxiety and I'm more likely to be reactive, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what often happens when family, family anxiety flows over into work, relationships, marriages. You know that with marriages, marriage is all about two families coming together and two families anxiety coming together is really, that's where they get into trouble with marriages. But I mean, isn't that what it's talking about in the big red book? And we understand that when we're getting triggered, it's just something that's unresolved from our childhood. Like, I guess I'm I'm a little bit confused as far as like how that differs from like, yeah, we're having anxiety based off similar experiences that we've had in our upbringings. Now, no, the big book is right. Yeah, I'm just trying to understand how that differs like from a family systems approach. It's that okay, now what do we do? If that's true, now what do we do? Tell me. And that's what, you know, and I have a lot of people, I go, (laughs) you know, you're absolutely right with that insight. And then what do we do? And I think the, what I try to help people understand is how connected we are to the family to reduce our family Wi-Fi within us and to reduce that anxiety pinging that goes on time and time again and grow ourselves up and learning to be more calm, more self-differentiated, more self-defined, more self-regulated, and more self-aware. But self-aware is not all that we need. Uh It's important, but now how do we grow up in that? How do we mature ourselves in that? For example, how would I deal with my boss differently in a more mature way if I feel pinged by my boss saying, you're just not producing what you should be producing? Often I would go into withdrawal because that's a part of reactivity too. I could go into anger. That's my reactivity again. You know, all those are just reactive responses. They just come out in different ways. What would be a mature experience of that? Well, boss, I'm uncertain what you mean. Can you explain that to me? And that I understand there's something that's troubling you about my productivity. Can you give me more clarity about that? Because I don't see that, obviously. So can you share that with me? A self-differentiated 
person, someone who's working on lowering that anxiety, can stay connected with the boss while still being themselves. Mm-hmm. And that working, and what I found is if you do the work of self differentiation, I found trauma reactions going down, go down, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and coming down. And that was one of the things with family systems. We just saw how this hot potato of anxiety goes throughout the family and we keep passing it back and forth. If you don't even see it, you d- you're not aware of it. You don't deal with it. If you can learn to deal with it, you can find yourself becoming less anxious. And believe it or not, you have yeah. fewer heart attacks, fewer sickness, fewer trauma reactions. You still may have been traumatized from child. I'm not saying trauma is not a real thing. So you know, by any means, my trauma is a very real thing. But the best thing I found to do was to do this work, help me bring down the Bunsen burner of the fire that the trauma produced. Mm-hmm. And it helped. It was an indirect way to deal with the trauma. A trauma therapist is going to deal with it directly. A family systems ther- therapist is going to deal with it indirectly. And I found it very successful. That's fascinating. And and particularly when you come to the trauma you experienced growing up in narcissistic families. Oh, people are traumatized up one side and down the other with narcissistic uh, families. And and sometimes it's difficult to deal with the trauma directly. Okay, well then just deal with it indirectly. Why and do you think that is? It. Why why is it more difficult, you feel? To deal with the trauma directly? What, as versus, it relates to narcissists. Yeah, what, what specifically oh, having narcissistic parents? Because, oh, gosh. Because it's so volatile. Mm-hmm. It's so, it, it scary. Can't, it's it, just so it's scary, scary to, to touch. It's not predicted. It's hard to predict. It's hard. And in fact, you keep looking at this parent to love you. And all they do is keep rea- being reactive to you. And the, in this narcissistic way, and it just doesn't fit in our heads. And it's just a real difficult trauma to experience from narcissistic parents. And of course, you know, alcohol and drug addiction are both narcissistic. Addi- All addictions are narcissistic. It doesn't mean everybody who has an addiction is a narcissist. Yeah, I, I don't mean that. But all addiction is narcissistic. Because it's about me. I mean, it, it, it's about my drinking, my drug use. It's about me. me, me. I totally um, agree with that statement regarding addiction. But what do you feel like are some unique challenges, impact, damage that an adult child of a true narcissistic parent struggles with compared to does an alcoholic parent? Well, then you can be a narcissist who's addicted. Yeah. Then that really messes with you. And I think some of the unique traits of that, and in fact, what I'm even, I just had, I'm just doing a video, common harmful traits of a narcissistic parent. Okay, let's hear them, baby. That's a, uh, a um, video I'm working on. 
uh, lack of empathy, self-centeredness, excessive sense of entitlement, hostility towards others, haughty, condescending attitude, grandiose sense of superiority, constant need for attention and love to be the center of attention, vanity and self-absorption, superficial and glib charm, controlling and manipulating, superficial friendships and relationships, shallow, fleeting emotions, often emotionally cold, mm -hmm. exploiting others for their own gain, pathological lying and deceit. This is an adult children, not the narcissistics, but this is the impact? Yes. Okay. This is, well, and in fact, if you're talking, and then each of these, I give an impact of that. Okay. Let's say, let's say the first one, I'll just give a couple examples. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lack of empathy. The world is not safe mm -hmm. and the world doesn't really care about me. Mm -hmm. Self-centeredness. I don't matter. Uh, excessive sense of entitlement. We deserve less or very little because others deserve it all. Mm. Hostility towards others. I make others mad. I make others hostile. That's going to be the impact on me as an ACON, adult child of a narcissist. Join. An ACON. Yeah, ACON. That's exactly right. Um, a constant need for attention and loves to be the center of attention. I'm invisible and I'm wrong to have any needs. And I can go on and on. But uh, those are those are some of the impacts of growing up in a uh, here's nine ways uh, children of narcissists love differently mm. because they're going to love differently. Uh, if you grew up in a narcissistic home. Um, now, certainly some of them are codependent. You know, mm -hmm. codependent. Well, we trust too easily and we don't trust. We trust too easily and we don't trust enough. Mm -hmm. We're going to have that paradoxical problem. And a lot of times with adult children, narcissists, and even ACOAs, you will end up with paradoxes. Trust too easily, not trusting enough. Because I'm not going to trust somebody I should trust. I'm going to trust too easily somebody I shouldn't. And I'm going to be afraid to trust somebody I really should trust. Hear that paradox mm -hmm. there? And what I found is family systems dynamics and, and help helps those paradoxes. We are hyper attuned to everything. Um. You know, we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Again, that unpredictability. But that's true for adult, for alcoholics, you know, ACOAs also. The alcoholic is, how do we know what they're going to be doing? So we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, we are afraid of being seen. So we either become too visible by oversharing or mm. disappear altogether by withdrawing. Mm -hmm. And, and those are some of the how we love differently there are more how about this so you have your no you're you're working on this no contact workshop and you know i i ask yeah. i ask guests all the time about like going no contact but do you feel like there's anything 
that we should highlight here when it entails going no contact with a narcissistic parent? Is there something special here that we need to be mindful of or discuss, highlight? Well, I think the um, one of the things that, yes, the in going no contact, I, I have a lot of people who come to me because being a marriage and family therapist in the past and dealing with families, mm -hmm. they, they have such uh, confusion about what's this whole no contact thing about? What's low contact? When should I do it? When should I not? Is that a healthy thing to do? What am I going to do to live without my family? I can't live without my family. But, but I can't live with them. <laughs> I can't with, live with them. I can't live with them. I can't live without them. And so what do I do? And that's what this workshop is going to be talking about, how to bring sanity to all that. Mm -hmm. And to think about what are the family dynamics of this. And, and I apply it to alcoholic and drug addicted families as well, because I think there's a lot of similarities. Because what do you do if you're now in recovery, but none of your family are? Which is like the vast majority of people. <laughs> exactly. What do you do? What do I what do I do with them? You know, and, and if I'm early in my recovery recovery, how is that going to be a problem? Okay, if I've got more mature uh, recovery going on, maybe I would look at it a little differently. Mm. But what do I do with, and the same is true if you've got a narcissistic family or narcissistic parents. Uh, when do I no, go no contact? Can I go no contact? What about the financial uh, things that go along with that? What about inheritances? What about family gatherings? What about, what if I go no contact and my parents die? Then what do I do? You know, and, and I've gone and I've worked on all of those problems and problems with people to help them navigate those difficulties. What are the upsides of going no contact? What are the downsides of going what no contact? This? What about this? Has there ever been a situation with a client where they've been wanting to go non, no contact and you actually view it as um, it's really an avoidance thing. Like it's in a, a way that they're avoiding going to a certain level of healing. Let me tell you how I describe that. Please. It, and that's an excellent question. The, um, does this family system require more self-differentiation on your part? Or does this require no or low contact? Mm -hmm. because sometimes it may require more self-differentiation on your part. In other words, you ex yeah, is, explain what that you mean by that is, is this, are you making this decision out of immaturity or maturity? Like you don't want to, yeah, you are, you, you don't want to have Avoid difficult conversations. You don't want to set boundaries. You don't want to let them and, know that. Yeah. And, uh -huh. and they just hurt you and say nasty things. And mm -hmm. so you just want to go, I'm just going to run away. Okay, well, you can. I mean, you have that right to do whatever you want to do. But if you're asking me, does this require self-differentiation or mature no contact? Which And self-differentiation means I learn to become let, more detached, have more internal boundaries and more external boundaries with my family. Does it require that? Or I don't want to do that work, so I'm just going to run away. 
okay, well, then you can run away. I mean, you, you can, but there are effects. There are upsides of doing that, and there are downsides of doing that. So are you ready for the upsides and downsides? If you do it immaturely, there's upsides and downsides. If you do it maturely, there's upsides and downsides. Are you aware of all that so you can make the best decision about that? And, and never do I tell anybody, you need this or you must do this. It's not my family. I can only make that decision about my family. Mm -hmm. I can only tell you what the dynamics are so you can decide what you should do. You know, now certainly if your family is abusing you financially, sexually, physically, okay, well, that's not a hard, that's mm -hmm. not a hard thing to, for me to impose or to suggest you really should let that go. You know, when there's that, when it's, but those are extreme cases. Those are extreme cases and they do, they do happen. Uh, certainly they happen. I know, I know adults who are still getting hit by their parents, you know, like, really let's stop that. <laughs> you know, that's not okay. That's, that's severe, you know, enmeshment. And that's even to the point of hurting you. That's not okay. What has your personal experience been with no contact? My experience was actually mine went in phases. Okay. What I found that as people recover, they tend to see the dysfunction in their family and they tend to fade away more in maybe a more healthy way. Yep. They maybe make those, hey, I can't keep. Mm -hmm. doing this and now rather than going i'm going low contact i'm going no contact they tend to fade because of their health and their recovery and it's mm -hmm. a healthy fade some people have to get to the point of going wait a minute i do need to go low contact i do need to go no contact for me it was a fading and a low contact and for a while going no contact with my brother Mm -hmm. I had to go, no, hey, this is just not working. I, this is not okay. This is not. And I knew he was not going to change. Okay. Then I need to accept the effect, the fact that he's not going to change. I can't wish for the big brother anymore. I have to deal with the fantasy of I want a big brother. I have to deal with that. Mm. And uh, no, I'm not going to, I have to say no. And then other parts were low contact. And then as I matured, I noticed I would fade with more healthy distance and mature boundaries. And, you know, and if you can't accept those boundaries, then I'm just going to fade more mm -hmm. and fade away more if you're not going to accept those boundaries. So I think there is a fading that can happen naturally with your recovery. And then some people really do need to go, hey, I just, this is, there, there, there is not, I can't even fade anymore. This, this needs to be stopped. Mm -hmm. This is, this has got to go no contact. Yeah. You know, my parents were nasty to me when I first start, when I really stopped changing the way I participated in the family. But I think that once they got to a point where they saw that, like, they were not going to have a relationship with me if they can, you know, like they've, they kind of came to terms a little. 
But also if I'm less impacted by that yep. and, you know, how hurtful is it for me to hear somebody who is an adult who actually is four years old emotionally calling me stupid? How hurtful is that? Not, yeah. I don't care. You know, I really don't care if a four-year-old calls me stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, that's what you do. Now, if you're going <laughs> to go, if you're going to go slash my tires and you're an adult and a four-year-old, that's gone beyond the line. Then, then that's not okay. You know, when it goes to that level. And I believe that there are a lot of different combinations. It's good to get help with that. Mm-hmm. But that you're right. As we begin to mature and as we become more self-differentiated, that's what I call maturity, being able to connect while be yourself. That's, that's simple, but not easy. And that the family, even a narcissistic family, might be challenged with, ooh, we're going to have to behave or we're going to lose them. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I want you to understand that. Mm-hmm. That's a very mature thing to understand. Do you know that if I mistreat my friends, they're not going to stay around? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's life, <laughs> folks. Sorry, you have to, and, and same is true for families. Hey, if you treat me badly, the daughter's not going to be here. Ooh, well, then maybe we need to hold back a little bit. Okay, good. Good. Unless it's a romantic know. relationship, you can just treat me like shit. I'll take it in all oh, day. Well, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> the worse, the better. The worse, I'm sticking around even more, baby. Then, then I love you even more. I will mess yeah. even more. Yeah. Okay. Ah, I love it. So true. Well, this has been such a pleasure. We'll have to have you back on. You're, what, promote whatever Thank the hell you, you want to promote. Yeah, I've got that. Well, I've got a free training. Yep. You can, if you go to my website. Uh, Jerry Wise Relationship Systems. Got a free training on there. Doesn't cost you anything. You can list 84 minutes of training. Then I've got an online program that you can join. And and I have a, I mean, I've got over 400 videos that are free. I mean, I, it's sure not like I haven't been tried to give away what I've been given. And that's what I really wanted to do. I did want to pay back what I was given for sure. You're doing it grateful for you this is you andrea and having me on today and yeah it, it's i'm not always clear in what i say but i usually try to get to the point i think you are crystal clear 